Yeah. We're so glad you're here. If you're a guest, welcome home. My name is Wade Owens. I'm the pastor here and glad you're here on this holiday weekend. A lot of times you might expect sort of a New Year's resolution type of sermon, you know, New Year, New You. Well, you're not getting that because it's New Year, same Jesus. Amen. And so at the church at Nolensville, we make much of the name and fame and renown of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the most significant, most important, most talked about, most influential person in history. Whether you're a Bible person or not, you cannot deny that there have been more books written about, more paintings of, more movies made of Jesus Christ. No one demands attention like Jesus Christ. In fact, we've divided our entire calendar around his birth, Jesus. And Jesus, in one of the Gospels, asks one of his followers one of the weightiest questions in history, When he said this, he said, who do you say that I am? It's a big question. Who do you say that I am? And see, how you answer that question determines everything about your life in this one and the next. What we think and believe about Jesus is the most important part of who we are. And for December, a lot of times we envision Jesus as this baby in a manger. But what we'll learn today is there's so much more to who Jesus is than just that. And the Apostle Paul is going to give us one of the most profound pictures of who Jesus is in the entire New Testament. And he's going to take a unique approach to doing it. He's actually going to write a song or a hymn in the first century. It's not going to sound that way to you, but in the first century it would have come across like a hymn, a song. And the reason why Paul does that is songs have a way of sticking in your memory. Like we learn the alphabet as a song. I learned the 50 states of the United States in a song. And marketers use songs because they stick in our memory. And so Paul is going to use like of a song to help us learn truths of Jesus. And he's writing to this church in Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians gets its name. It's a church that he planted in Colossae. And these people are coming in and they're beginning to tell this young church, you know, Jesus isn't everything he thought he was. And hey, there's really some things you need in addition to Jesus. And hey, maybe this isn't true about Jesus. And Paul is writing to refute that. And he's going, no, Jesus is everything. He's all that you need. He's the only thing that you need, Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we're going to dive into perhaps the five most theologically rich verses about who Jesus is today. And I just want us to gaze on him and look at him. And as a church and as a group of people, if we can do that in this next year, we will thrive and we will flourish as a group of people. And so God, today, we, we just want to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of who he is. And I pray that our eyes would be fixed on him. Our gaze would be his direction and his direction only. And so God, I ask that you would do what only you can do in these moments in Jesus name. And everybody said, so turn to the book of Colossians chapter one, and we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. And in this, Paul begins right out of the gate 
by making two very bold statements about who Jesus is. And they're found in one verse, both of these statements. And when I read the verse, see if you can identify the two profound things that Paul says about Jesus. We'll begin in verse 15. And Paul says this, he, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's two power-packed statements in this verse. Can you identify both of them? And to make it easy on you, we'll just start with the first one. And here's the first one. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And the Bible actually says no one has seen God the Father. In fact, the Bible says you can't even look on him and live. But Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this word image, think like a mirror, where a mirror accurately reflects the image in front of it. So today, I got up, I got dressed, I did my hair, and I looked in the mirror. Sadly, not impressed. I've got this massive Shrek-sized head, and my physique from high school has already gone home to be with the Lord. It is what it is. But the mirror accurately reflected what was in front of it. And so Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, meaning Jesus accurately reflects the Father. So if you want to know about God's love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his character, his nature, you look at Jesus. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. If you've ever heard the expression, like father, like son, well, that's definitely true in Jesus, because when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God. It's the first thing Paul wants you to know. And then the second part here is he says this, the firstborn of all creation. And so many, when you think firstborn, you, you tend to think of like siblings. Show of hands, how many of you have a brother or a sister? Now keep your hand up if you're the oldest. Okay, now put your hand down. Put your hand up if you're the youngest. Now put your hand up if you're the best, like the middle child. I'm a middle child. We're the best. Amen? Middle children rule. So a lot of times when we hear firstborn, we think literally firstborn. That's not what's happening here. This isn't an age thing. This also isn't saying that Jesus was the first to be created. That's a heresy. We would never say that. Jesus wasn't created. The Father and the Holy Spirit weren't in heaven having a conversation. You know what would make this less confusing? If there were three of us and poof, they made Jesus. That's not what happened. Jesus wasn't created. Perhaps a more helpful way to think about this. The Greek can be translated this way. The firstborn over all creation. You can translate the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in primarily. Jesus is the firstborn over creation. So if you like to take notes in your Bible, you could write that in there. And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, as God, outranks everything that was created because he is God. Jesus is supreme over everything. And so when you hear firstborn, I want you to think status or power or significance. Think Jesus first. That's what Paul is declaring here in the beginning, which means in your life and mine, nothing will ever be truly right unless Jesus is given his rightful place in your life. And Paul is writing to the Colossians, hey, I know you have needs and you have struggles and you have 
problems, but you have to prioritize Jesus first because you're never going to have the marriage or the school or the finances or the work. None of those things will ever be in order until Jesus is in his rightful place because he's first. And then Paul keeps going in verse 16, and he's going to really expand on this idea of Jesus first. In fact, he's going to really show how he's supreme over everything. And you're going to see three particular phrases that really help us understand how spectacular Jesus is. So we'll read verse 16 and see if you can catch the three phrases. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Three phrases. And each one of these give us a unique insight into Jesus. And the first one that we look at here, by him, man, this, this is awesome because this tells us of the uniqueness of creation and how it was really Jesus's ideas. Well, the, the father, of course, kind of planned for creation to come into existence, but, but the exact beauty and design of creation was Jesus's ideas. So think mountains or beaches or elephants or giraffes or coffee beans. <laughs> so Jesus's ideas, like not only did he create it, as we'll see in a moment, but the exact nature of creation is what he spoke into existence. And it was also his power. That's what through him means here. Not just the idea behind it, but the ability to make it happen. The power to do it was in Jesus Christ. He is the creator. And then Paul is going to define everything that Jesus made in two ways. Look, he says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So whether you can see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, experience it in any way, Jesus created that. Or things that you can't see in heaven and invisible, things that we don't know yet, that the greatest telescopes haven't identified yet, Jesus also created that. The stars, the sun, the moon, the cosmos, he made it. And then what's so spectacular is that in the middle of all of that, he also created you. And he knows everything about you. So he, he knows your hopes and he knows your dreams, your fears, your regrets, your sorrows. When you wake up, when you lie down, where you go, the desires of your heart, Jesus is that aware that's why in, in Matthew it says, and not, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. And so Jesus isn't some distant God that's unaware of his creation. Not even a bird dying is off of his radar. So the actual number or lack thereof, hairs on your head, is known and designed by Jesus. So the earth is in orbit. The sun is out. I'm given the ability to speak because Jesus allows it. And the entire cosmos is sustained by Jesus. But 
More personally than that, nothing in your world has ever or will ever catch him by surprise. So regardless of what's going on, if 2021 was an amazing year or if it was gut-wrenching, it didn't surprise the creator. He's not breaking a sweat. He has a plan, and the Bible would say he's good. All things are made by him, through him, and then the last phrase, for him, is, is profound. Because Jesus is literally in control, but everything that's happening is supposed to be pointed towards him and his glory. So just sort of a news flash, not only for me, but for everyone here. The world doesn't revolve around us. We're not the point of the story. Happy New Year. It's not about us. Like this whole thing is not being written to make our name great. The way things are unfolding are supposed to point to the goodness and glory of our Savior, which gives a lot of freedom to me because my life has grand purpose. My destiny was literally created in eternity to make much of Jesus. And there's so much freedom then in a life of obedience lived for him. I don't live for myself. I live for him. I don't make up my own plans. I follow his. I exist for Jesus, his purpose, his mission, his message, which is go and make disciples. And in 2022, like the prayer of this team is that, that you, our church, we would just be gripped, shaken, undone by the reality that God did indeed give his one and only son, that he loves the world. And so we're going to go to the world. Do you know how many people are in the world? Seven billion. Seven billion. 11,477 different unique people groups, of which 6,611 are still unreached with the gospel. Not doesn't have a church in town. Not, you know, I don't really like the pastor or their music's too loud or that guy, you know, whatever. Doesn't even have access. Couldn't hear the gospel if they wanted to. One out of four people alive on planet Earth today has yet to hear the name of Jesus in a way that would bring salvation. Look down your row and count one, two, three, four. The first, fourth person will live and die without access to the gospel. So our plan is that we're going to start right here in Nolensville, and we want in the next 24 months to literally saturate our area so that every person that breathes air hears the gospel because of us. And then we want to plant churches just like this in Smyrna and Murfreesboro and College Grove and in Middle Tennessee, and we don't want to stop till we hit the ends of the earth because Jesus is worth it, and it's for him. My son and I were pre-COVID in India, one of our favorite places to go and do ministry. And we met a guy there who came to faith. And as we were talking about it, like one of the things he wasn't debating was whether it was worth it for us to come and whether any sacrifice was worth him being able to go from death to life because he was now a child of God. 
he started talking about it. And what he began to debate was this. He's like, how do I now, how do I now best risk my life for the gospel? How do I now follow in those footsteps? And I would say, let's keep having that conversation. Because we exist for Jesus and his story. David Platt says it like this. He says, when we finally realize how grand the adventure Jesus calls us to is, we will never have to be conjoled to accomplish the great commission. We will be compelled. Let us be constrained to work together to tell the nations about Jesus while we exist for his glory. Throw aside every distraction until the work is complete, until the day we join the hosts of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne worshiping our Savior. End quote. Amen. It's for Jesus. And then he goes on, Paul does in verse 17, and he gives us a really clear statement about Jesus's divinity and how he's eternal. Look at verse 17. And he says, and he, that's Jesus, is before how many things? All things, which means he's God. He has no beginning and no end. And then at the end of verse 17, and in him, all things hold together. How does everything in our world and cosmos hold together? Jesus. Have you heard the song? He's got the whole world in his. That's true. It's good theology. He has everything in his hands. Everything is sustained and held together by Jesus. Sometimes the pain of this world makes us doubt that. Sometimes the struggle and the suffering and the heartaches that we walk through make us doubt that he actually knows what he's doing and is in control. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we could be honest in church. But the reality is life being out of your hands doesn't mean it's out of his. That he does sustain all things. And he's working all things together for good doesn't mean all things are good for his glory and his story. That's what Paul's telling him. And then in verse 18, he says this, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. We'll stop there. I'll show you something else in a second. But what I want you to notice here is that Jesus is indeed the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Our deacons, our trustees are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, which means we don't vote on what we want. We submit to what he says because the church is ruled, thrown down, not pew up. And his common card is the one we care most about. Is he pleased with what we're doing? Our agenda is his and his alone. And then Paul says, I think the most remarkable thing in everything that he said so far, which is this right here, the firstborn from the dead. Y'all didn't shout. Do you know what this means? This means he's alive. Still didn't shout. Wait, it's not Easter. Why are we talking about Jesus being alive? Talk about Jesus being alive. I know he's alive. I know he's alive. Listen, when I go home and my wife says, I love you, I don't be like, look, you've been saying that for 23 years. Would you stop already? Jesus is alive. No other God can say that. 2,000 years later, he's still alive. That should be the leading story on the news. It's 2022. He's still alive. No one else went to a grave, was resurrected, and stayed alive. Yes, Lazarus was resurrected, but one day he was walking around and was like, oh, I feel ill, died again. He's still alive. Jesus defeated death. And he said, 
If you are my follower, you will too. He defeated the greatest enemy of sin, sin, hell, death, and the grave. He's alive. The firstborn over all creation. His resurrection means I leave this broken, heartache, tear-filled world behind one day. I meet him in my real home the people that have gone before. That is not a fairy tale. And it's only true because Jesus did what he said he did, which was defeat the grave. Now, verse 19, he says this, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this is amazing because some people claim that Jesus never said he was God. Sure he did. Actually, he did all the time. In fact, on one occasion, he was like, hey, why are you guys trying to kill me? And they were like, well, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, and then they did kill him, but he came back to life because he was God. And he's like, see, I told you I'm God. You should have listened. And then verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. This is part of his mission. And see, we all have broken relationships. Everybody in this room, to one degree or another, like we struggle with some broken relationships. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have broken relationships? And it's part of our nature and part of the curse of sin is that, man, we have had a broken relationship both with God and with one another. And we rebelled originally by sin and by nature and by choice, and our relationship with God has been disrupted, but our relationship with others has been disrupted as well. And part of what Jesus is doing is not only restoring us in right relationship with God, but he's going to restore us in right relationship with one another again. He's reconciling all things back to himself. And it was done in a very specific way right here, making peace by the blood of his cross. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay his life down for another. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. When Jesus purchased back rebellious, sinful, hard-hearted people, made them sons and daughters, gave them a destiny and a future, traded death for life, his condemnation for salvation, his guilt for innocence, enemy for family, that's been done for us. And I know many of you, it's probably similar to me, you're goal-oriented, you're driven, you've got plans for 2022. And I, lo- I love that. I'm, I'm a high D Enneagram 3. I've got goals and plans for everything I'm a part of. I've got plans for here. I've got plans for my family. Like, we are we're driven. I mean, it's fine. But here's, here's what broke my heart the other day. I was looking through goals and plans plans for the church and plans for my family, things that we want to do. And I hadn't written down, I just love Jesus more. Follow him more. Confess sin more. Be changed by him more. What 
Whatever you're seeking to accomplish in 2022, no matter how great and spectacular and glorious it may be, if at the beginning and the end and the the floor of it isn't like transformation with Jesus, we're wasting our time. Because we could be guilty of gaining the whole world and missing what we truly need. And the good news about God is he says his mercy and grace is new every day. And so 2022 is an opportunity for us to make much of the one who sacrificed much for us. And I planned a little shorter sermon today, not to let you out earlier, but to give you some space intentionally. So I want you to stand up with me. I want you to spend some time with your creator. So we're walking into a new year. And I I don't know what 2021 was like for some of you. I do know, as a pastor of the church, we had both spectrums here. So for some of you, 2021 was a year where you struggled at best. You wondered, man, is this what life's going to keep looking like? Is this the kind of pain I have to walk through? Does it, does it get better? Are we going to make it? And I, I just want you to have some space to be able to say that to the Lord. Like he's, he's big enough to handle it. And this church is a safe place to process. But Jesus does hold all things together, including your future. Others of you, though, like you had an amazing 2021. Financially, relationally, you're in the best shape of your life. Like you're ready to go. And the danger is you're going to step into this year in your own strength. And you're going to forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And that we have nothing. We're hopeless and helpless without him. And so my prayer for you in the next couple of minutes is that you'll just refocus for a minute on the simplicity, the beauty, and the necessity of a Christ alone type of a life. So what Paul was writing to the church at Colossae about, he's saying, ignore those voices and realize everything that you could need or hope or want or desire is found in him. And we can have nothing that this world has to offer and worship like we have everything when we have Christ. And we can have everything this world has to offer and be the most empty and most pitied. And the baseline between every story is a foundation of Jesus. And so I just want you to have a minute 
You don't have to change everything, but you can start somewhere, someplace, focusing on Jesus. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds and let you talk to your creator.